don't want anyone to have a spirit of just when is this going to be over. This is why I say that, okay? Because we just don't know what the Lord is up to. So let's not have a spirit. Now, trust me. Yes, if it, it's, if it stopped and ended all tomorrow, praise God. All right, don't mistake me on that. What I'm simply saying is, is that when you have that type of spirit and it manifests itself in words, you are susceptible to not receiving what God is dealing with you about during this time. Because you're just looking forward to when can we just get back to the way things used to be. Well, maybe God isn't trying to take us back to the way things used to be. That could be a very strong possibility in the church and in our society. So we must understand that whatever's taking place, Lord, deal with my heart accordingly. Help me, Lord, to have the right spirit. Help me, Lord, to go about things the right way so that when the pandemic is over, my heart is in the right position with you. And so it's important to keep that in mind and ask God to help you during this time that you may draw closer to him now more than ever before. So I want to speak on this subject, how to respond in a crisis, because I think the church should be responding the right way. So how do we respond? Well, in Luke chapter number 8, verse number 23, let's see how Jesus responded. It says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. It's interesting that the Bible says that the people on the boat were in jeopardy, but Jesus, who was on the boat, sleeping, was never in jeopardy. He never considered himself in jeopardy, but the people thought they were getting ready to die. And they went to him and said, Master, wake up, we're about to die. And here he is, sleep, in the middle of a crisis situation. Now, we know that God never sleeps. The Bible says neither does he slumber. So no one can say that God was asleep on the boat. No. The Bible says that his eyes go to and fro throughout the earth. The flesh was sleep, but not the God that dwelt in the flesh was sleep. The flesh slept, ate, drank, got tired, weary, but God that was in the flesh never gets tired, never gets weary, doesn't need to eat, doesn't need to drink, because the flesh can be weak. That's why the Bible says, when I'm weak, he 
is strong because he's God Almighty. And so the scripture lets us know they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, where is your faith? I want you to notice that Jesus did not ask them, did they have faith? But he asked them, where is your faith? Why does he ask them that? Because the Bible does not contradict itself. And if he was to ask them, do you have faith? That would have been contradicting to the word of God. Because the Bible says that he has given every man a measure of faith. So everybody has faith. But he was asking them, what have you done or where is that faith that I have deposited into every man? Because what's deposited in you is there. And it will remain there. But what are you doing with what is inside of you and where are you placing it? So that is why Jesus asked them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commanded even the winds and the waters, and they obeyed him. Now we get to verse number 26, and it says, And they arrived at the country of the Gadareans, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time. Now Jesus just got through dealing with one crisis, and it hasn't even been no telling, you know, it hasn't even been a day. And now as soon as he hits the land, he's met with another crisis. And the Bible says that, this man had devils a long time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I just had a devil for one day, that's a long, if one hour, that's a long enough time for me. But the Bible says he had devils for a long time. And wear no clothes. Notice here how the scripture coincides the wearing of no clothes with Spiritual wickedness. Uh-huh. So when we are revealing ourselves and taking off our clothes in public and around people other than our spouse, it associates it with spiritual wickedness. For the Bible says he had devils long time and wore no clothes. I'll prove it to you later here in the scripture. It says neither abode in any house. Notice it says neither. It doesn't say and. Because if you live at home or you don't live at home, if you're homeless, that is not associated with spiritual wickedness. But it says, neither abode in any house but in the tombs. In verse number 30, let's drop there. It says, and Jesus asked him, saying, what is thy name? And he said, legion, because many devils were entered into him. Now, the man is not talking here. But the spirits are talking out of the man. Because the spirit says legion, because many devils were entered into him. Then went the devils out of the man, drop down to verse 33, and entered into the swine and the the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and were choked. Verse 35 says, Then they went out to the sea, which was done, to see what was done, and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Look, clothed, because when you come to Jesus, he puts clothes on you. Mm -hmm. He doesn't leave you naked. 
He doesn't leave you revealing yourself. See, that's a Jesus thing, not a church standard thing. Mm -hmm. So when the preacher asks you to put some clothes on, he's not just talking from the, his own pride. He's talking from the word of God. Because when you come to him, he clothes you and you, he puts you in your right mind. So I want to talk today about how to respond in a crisis. You know, there's a quote, many of you have heard of this before, but it says life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you react to it. So we see here in the Bible that we've read here in these few verses that two different crises here that Jesus dealt with in a short period of time. One was dealing with nature, dealing with the wind and the water. The other dealing with the spirit or demons that called themselves legion for we are many, they said. But both show Jesus having power in earth over natural and spiritual forces. That is why Paul, the writer of the Philippian church, says in Philippians 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. So it doesn't matter if it's angels, it doesn't matter if it's mankind, it doesn't matter if it's demonic forces, everything must bow to the name of Jesus. Amen. Now verse number 11 continues on and says, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I like verse number 11 because it helps us to understand if we don't profess Jesus now, we will confess him later. So I believe I'm looking at a group of believers that understand that we must profess him while we have the chance. Both of these scenarios also show how Jesus handled the crisis. And he handled both of them the exact same way. There are two ingredients that you need to write down on how to handle a crisis according to how Jesus handles a crisis. He used faith. And he used the spoken word. He used faith and the spoken word. Many things influence our faith negatively, especially past fears and past desires. But anything that negatively influences your faith is under your control. You can stop it. I want to help someone understand here today that you do have a choice. You do not have to continue replaying the very thing that torments your mind and is causing you to lose hope. I'm encountering too many people of God not speaking hope, walking in hope, living in hope. That's why the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. If you were listening this past Wednesday online, if you haven't had that opportunity, go to our website and look at our archive. You will find that I was speaking on Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 1, where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I really focused on the word substance. Because if we was to look up the word substance in the Hebrew, it means hypostasis, And hypostasis means to put under or subfloor or substructure. So now the Bible is letting us know that now faith is the foundation or the substructure of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. 
So when you are asked where is your faith, it's not a question of do you have it or not, but a matter of where is your faith. It's asking is your faith in Jesus or is your faith in man? Is your substructure or your substance, your subfloor, your foundation in Jesus Christ? Because if your foundation is wrong, then whatever you're building on the foundation will be wrong. If your foundational structure is off even just a tad, that building will not erect in the way that it's supposed to. Even after you erect that building, there is a higher probability for that building to crumble. And see, that's what the enemy is trying to do to you and I. He's trying to cause our foundation to be toppled over a little bit. Calls us to have cracks in the seam, hoping that whatever we build will come down falling. But I'm here to proclaim in the name of Jesus that on Christ the solid rock I stand because all other ground is sinking sand. But as long as I stand on that solid rock, whatever I build shall stand. Hallelujah. I said it shall stand. I didn't say it might stand. I didn't say it'll stand for a little while and come crumbling. But as long as my foundation is sure, I know that whatever I build is right. That's why the Bible says, unless the Lord build the house, they that labor, they do it all in vain. So if you're trying to erect your own walls, you're doing it the wrong way, honey. If you're trying to build your own walls and your own structure and have your own little church, you're doing it the wrong way, honey. But we must put all things, everything we do, in word or in deed, we do it all in the name of Jesus. So when I go home, I proclaim Jesus. Jesus over my house. Jesus over my children. Jesus over my loved ones. Jesus in the morning. Jesus in the noonday. Jesus Jesus at midnight. Jesus all day long. Somebody clap your hands. Magnify the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh yes. Now faith is the substance. It's your foundation of things hoped for. And if your foundation is right, then you will have evidence that you don't even see. Woo. Now, I could preach on that a while. I'm not. I'm going to stick to what we got going on here. You will have evidence that you don't even see. The Bible says in verse number six in that same chapter, stay with me here, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Once you have him and he has you, you will find that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So what weapons do you have? Well, let me help you here today. Fasting is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon. This word is a weapon. Your praise is a weapon. Your testimony is a weapon. And all these ingredients are tied into your response. So my question today is, is how do you respond in a crisis? We respond like Jesus responded, with faith and the spoken word. Life is said to be images of the mind expressed 
What this means is that life uses your thoughts, your mental images, as the instructions by which to create your reality in this material world. Life expresses your mental images into physical reality. This is the supreme purpose of this physical world that we are in right now. It is designed to enable you to experience yourself. It is designed to enable you to experience an idea and its effects and consequences. That's why we hear so many preachers today telling you to live your best life today. All they're saying and preaching is, is about self in the natural. It's even about self in the spirit. Nothing about self-denial before God. When the disciples asked who would be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus said, whoever humbles themselves as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom. We are constantly bombarded with images to live better, be stronger, be happy, even if it's just for one night. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, verse 16, but we have the mind of Christ. So that helps us to know we shouldn't be thinking like the world. We don't just seek happiness for one night, but we seek the joy of the Lord. We seek joy, unspeakable joy, that's full of glory. I know the world says that you only live once. You only have one life to live. Well, my Bible says in the book of Revelations, chapter number two, verse number 11 says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. I'm not living today. I'm living for eternity. I don't make decisions today based on living a good life today. But I make decisions today based on living the best life in eternity. I'm not planning on staying on this side of glory, but I'm planning on going on to the other side of glory. I plan on making heaven my home. So therefore, I must have the mind of Christ so I don't think like this world thinks and try to feed my flesh just to make myself happy. But everything I do, I do it for the glory of God. Everything I say, every place I go, everything I do, I'm trying to make heaven my home. Are you hearing me this afternoon? I'm telling you right now, the choices that we make, we make them for heaven and not this world. We don't make decisions based on having one night of happiness. Uh, somebody told me a long time ago, 15 minutes of pleasure can cause you a lifetime of pain. I don't make decisions based on what makes my flesh happy today. I'm not trying to live my best life right now. My best life is yet to come. My best... I said my best life is yet to come. That's why I don't do things like all my friends do. They say, Brother Robinson, you always going to church. You always reading your Bible. You always talking about Jesus. You always talking about this and that and the word of God. Well, I'm not trying to live for you right now. I'm trying to live for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't live my life to please you, but I live my life to please him. Because one of these days, I'm going to have to sit there while he's on the judgment seat. And I want him to say, well, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Is anybody ready to see Jesus? Is anybody ready to go to heaven? Is anybody excited? Yeah. 
I want to tell somebody, you can change your tomorrow by changing your mind today. I'm here to preach to someone here today that we must make sure that our mind is right. All right? Your mind must be right. The enemy is after your mind. You want to know why you're so stressed? All this anxiety? Some of us have too much uncertainty. Are you hearing me, church? Is it okay to be uncertain? Yep. It sure is. Because we're still flesh and bone. There's going to be uncertain moments. That's why we go to the almighty God during those uncertain moments. But some of us have too much uncertainty. You're hesitant to make even one move because there's so much of a spirit of fear that has just gripped your heart and has gripped your entire home. Mm-hmm. That's why it's important to have the right mind. That's why the scripture says in Corinthians, but we have the mind of Christ. Philippians 2.5 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Faith and speak the word. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear that. Faith and speak the word. How do we respond in a crisis? Faith and speak the word. I want to give you a few examples here. Let's look at three instances in the Bible where judgment came from God. I want you to understand something here. In all three, in what I would consider life crisis, life crisis instances, God gave warnings. It's important to know that when God sends judgment, he always gives us a warning before the judgment comes. Now, I want to be very clear because there's many people, I'm not here to say I'm on this side of the fence or or the other side of the fence. I'm not here to say that. I'm just here to give you the word of God. There's people say that this is judgment from God on this world, on this earth, on the U.S. Maybe. I'm not here to debate you on that. There's some people that say, no, this, is, this isn't judgment. This is just whatever theory they have to say. And there's many different theories. I'm not here to talk about the different theories. I'm not here to talk about whether it's judgment or not. What I mean, am here to say, though, that God always sends a warning. That there's always a warning before judgment. The Bible talks about three of them. At least three of them. And I want to hit on these three right now. We talk about Noah. We understand that Noah. Noah preached for 120 years. Preacher of righteousness, but no one outside of his family responded. No one outside of his family entered into the ark. There was a crisis happening in that day. And no one responded outside of his family. Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent angels to find at least 10 righteous. He was to spare them if he was only to find 10 righteous. Could not find 10. 
The Bible lets us know that he destroyed the entire city with fire because of sexual sin and immorality. He destroyed them all. But then we get to the story of Jonah and Nineveh. The prophet Jonah goes to Nineveh preaching yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But the people of Nineveh responded differently than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The people of Nineveh responded differently than in the days of Noah. For the Bible says the entire city went on a fast. They began to pray and they began to repent of their sin. And because they responded in prayer, fasting, and repentance, God spared the entire city. The present pandemic outcome is based on your response to the warning God is giving to every individual. My question today is, is how are you responding to this current crisis? My question today is, is that are you ignoring it? Are you brushing it off? Remember what I said. Don't have a spirit saying, man, I, I, when this thing just going to be over. No, let God deal with you how he's dealing with you. I'm trying to tell somebody and I want to wake somebody up. It's all about how you respond during this crisis. What are you doing in your home? What are you doing while you're on your job? What are you doing during this time that you have with family? How are you responding? Are you responding with ignorance? Are you responding with brushing it off? Are you responding with faith and speaking the word? Because that's what I've come to preach here today. That's how Jesus responded in both crises. Whether it was a natural crisis or a spiritual crisis, he handled both of them the exact same way. So it doesn't matter what type of crisis you are in. And some of you here today are in both. You're in both natural and spiritual crisis in your life. But how are you responding in the middle of a crisis? Are you worried? Are you fret? Are you picking up the phone? Are you texting? Are you doing all these other things instead of exercising your faith and exercising the word? The first thing you need to do is say, Lord, I still trust you. Lord, I still believe in you. See, that is exercising your faith. And then you begin to speak the word and say, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. If God be for me, who can be against me? And then your faith begins to become stronger. And then you begin to look at that devil and say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life of whom shall I be afraid I look at that devil and my faith just rises up but you've got to learn how to exercise faith and the word and when you have faith and then you begin to speak the word that's when you are able to overcome in your crisis are you hearing what I'm saying I want you to understand something here. It's all about your response to the crisis. It's how you respond. That's it. It's your response. It's how you're responding within yourself, and within yourself, it affects your environment. Many of us have been infected in our environment because we're allowing our environment to infect us instead of us infecting our environment. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. Right? That's what the Bible says. 
that we are the light of the world. We should be infecting our environment. And your environment starts right in your home. Oh, can I preach this for a little bit? Your environment starts in your home. Uh-huh. Uh, don't be thinking about that job quite yet. Don't be thinking about your neighborhood quite yet. But it starts in your home. How are you walking around your house? What are you speaking around your house? Are you letting a husband or a wife or your children dictate the outcome of your home? The devil is a lie. No, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And it starts in your home. So if you got people in your house that are trying to control the atmosphere, you just go to God in prayer. You don't have to speak to that man. You don't have to speak to that woman. You don't have to rebuke them openly. But I go to God and say, Lord, you're my help and my strength. God, you see what I'm dealing with. God, you know what's going on in my home. But I know I've got something on the inside of me that's greater than the very thing that's out there. And I've come to pull down every stronghold. I don't care what's taking place in my home but God is with me so I've got to praise him even when I have the chance I want you to understand something listen to me now because I want you to hear this very clear there's often times I didn't know what to do or what to say and I just begin to dance uh -huh. Now, don't laugh at my dance, Brother James. If you can dance better than me, then you go ahead and dance better than me, okay? Uh, but uh, but anytime I just begin to dance, uh, or so I just begin to wave my hand, uh, because sometimes I really don't know what to say, Sister Rhoda, uh, but I know if I just lift up the name of Jesus, uh, his word says, if I be lifted up, uh, if I be lifted up, uh, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us, uh, what, let us, uh, huh? Praise his name. Come on. Let's exalt the name together. Oh, we come to lift up the name of Jesus. What are you saying? I'm just trying to teach you a principle. And principles are good during crisis. Because sometimes when crisis hit our home, we lose track of our principles. And the first thing that we're taught to do, or we should be taught to do, is go back to your principles. Uh-huh. That's it. You, there, you don't have to come up with a new revelation. You don't have to search the internet or search the TV for some preacher that's going to bring you some expounding word like, that's the answer. Why isn't everybody doing this? Because that's what we do. We look for someone to tell us what we need to do. When God is saying, wait a minute, I was God before the pandemic. I'm still God during the pandemic. I'm going to be God after this pandemic. So what are you supposed to do? Faith, speak the word. So don't stop praying. That's what we do. We pray. Don't stop fasting. That's what we do. We fast. We sacrifice this flesh. We don't stop repenting. We don't stop asking God for forgiveness. And in the meantime, I'm going to praise and lift up the name of Jesus because those are biblical principles. And when we apply these biblical principles in our life, it becomes contagious. It becomes infectious. It gets all in our body and it gets all in our home to when even the devil tries to come in my house. I say, not today, devil. But as for me in my house, I'm still going to lift up the name of Jesus. You can try to interrupt me. You can try to stop me all you want, but I still got a reason to praise him and I still got a reason to magnify him. Hallelujah. Three instances. Two responded and said, we're not listening to that. One responded and said, we've got to pray 
fast and ask for forgiveness. That's why it's important to have the right mind. It's important to have the right mind. Help us, God, to have the right mind. Help us, God, to have the right mind. Help us, God, to have the right mind. God, get rid of the junk, the filth out of my mind. All the thoughts that are consuming me day after day. And I don't need to entertain that junk, but help me, God, to have the right mind. I have to have the mind of Christ. Help me, God, so when these things come into my mind, I don't dwell on them so that they don't become repetitive, so that what I dealt with yesterday doesn't overflow into today. But help me, God, so that whatever I'm dealing with, let me just stop it immediately and put on the mind of Christ so that I can think positive thoughts. I can think goodly thoughts. I can think thoughts of joy and thoughts of peace and thoughts of great happiness unto the Lord. I need those things in my mind, but it comes with the mind of Christ. And that is how the church is to respond in a crisis. Because the church needs to respond the right way. Because the world is looking for somebody that's responding the right way. The world doesn't know how to respond. Government, officials, scientists, people are trying to figure out what's going on and how do we handle it. Oh, yes, they are. And the church, the believers, need to know how to respond. Because people are searching for a group of people that are responding the right way. There is a wrong way to respond. Because before judgment always comes a warning. And I want to tell you right now, as I close this message, praise team, you can come. I want you to understand something very important here. That the warning is not just for what we call the world. But the warning is for the believer, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The warning is not just for those who we consider are not saved. And we kind of, you know, I've got myself together. Do you? Do you? Do you really have yourself together? Because the warning is for all people. The warning is for you and I as well. And I've got to get myself together. I've got to make sure that I'm ready. I've got to make sure that I'm right. I've got to make sure that however God is dealing with me, I allow him to deal with me. And I'm not just steady looking across the aisle and looking across the street and looking at my neighbor saying, yeah, yeah, you see what's going on, you better get your life right. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to make sure that my life is right. Because if my life is right, I should be a witness to my neighbor. Mm. 
If my life is right, my light will so shine to where my neighbor, my friends, my co-workers and say, Brother Robinson, talk to me. Brother Robinson, what are you doing? Brother Robinson, you still got a smile on your face. Brother Robinson, what is going on in your heart? Let me talk to you, my friend. Jesus is what's happening in my heart. Jesus is what's taking place in my life. Jesus is what's happening in my home. Jesus is what's happening all around me. That's why in the middle of a crisis, I can respond with faith and I speak the word. Because even when the enemy tries to come in, as the Bible says, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord says he will lift up a standard against it. That's the word. That's why we have to speak the word. It is the word that we use to combat the very things that torment our mind. But if you entertain those thoughts, see, that's where the enemy says, aha, that's what I want. That's how I mess up their foundation. Because they're not speaking the word anymore. They're entertaining thoughts of this world. Why do you think Moses instructed the children to write the word on their doorposts, write the word on their gates? He said, write that word everywhere you can write it. It's a reminder. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's a reminder that it's God that brought us across this Red Sea. It's a reminder that he's the one that destroyed the Egyptians. It's a reminder of what God has done for them. Some of us need to start reminding ourselves what God has done for you. Remind yourself how great God is. Remind yourself that he's been better to you than you've been to yourself. Remind yourself he didn't have to do what he's done for you, but he has. Remind yourself I still got roof over my head, clothes on my back, food on my table. I'm still blessed by the almighty God. Remind yourself. As many people are saying, this is the worst time ever. Can it get any worse? It could. But in the meantime, I got to remind myself God is still faithful. God is still lovely. God is still wonderful. And he's still been good to me. I have faith and I speak the word. Let's lift our hands. Come on right where you are. Oh, I feel the spirit of the Lord in this place. Come on, I feel the spirit of the Lord in this place. Now we need to put into play what we just learned about today. Come on, exercise your faith. Come on, speak the word right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, put into action what you just heard here today. Come on, let your faith be expounded. Let it stretch right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus.